going to be in John chapter 4 today. You ever had one of those times when you get reminded about something that you wish you never were reminded about? It happened the other day, I was happened to be on Facebook, and I had a picture pop up on my, uh, like, memories on Facebook. If you ever have Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. And it was a picture from a camp that we had taken our youth to back in 2012. Uh, it was a camp called Merge. Uh, some of our kids here would remember this camp. Um, and it was, it was out in Millington. It was at a church out in Millington, and... Uh, it was like a mission camp type thing, but what made this such a not-so-fun memory was that the, uh, the stomach virus worked its way through the camp. Um, people started getting sick. I guess it was like Wednesday, like halfway through the week. Uh, we were in worship, and people just started getting sick and dropping like flies uh, to the point that Wednesday night, we decided to go home. Like We just said, we're leaving. We're not staying here any longer. Everybody is getting sick. We don't, we're not going to stick around from this. And I found out after the fact that 200 out of the 800 people at the camp got the sickness at the camp. It was pretty bad. And so we get home, and we all think we're okay, you know, and uh, it was like 11 o'clock at night. I come in, well, my boys are sick at home, and so I'm thinking, this is going to be real fun. Well, about an hour later, it caught me, and suddenly I became violently ill. I just, I couldn't control things. I was just sick as I could be. I was laying in the bed, so my wife is trying to do double duty here, and I think my mom was even at the house, and... Uh, and so she's trying to take care of two little boys who have the stomach virus, while meanwhile her weenie husband is starting to get the stomach virus, and I just get sick and sick and sick. And, and finally I laid down in the bed at one point, and I felt awful, and I started to shiver, and I started to feel the fever. And then I, I had this weird thing where my arms started coming in like this and locking up, and I couldn't move them. And so I started yelling to my wife, like, call an ambulance. And, you know, I started breathing real heavy. My vision started closing in on me. And she came in the room, and she saw what I was doing. You know what she told me? Hush up. <laughs> she said, hush up and breathe. And then she handed me some Pedialyte and made me drink some Pedialyte. And so here I was with the boys sipping on my Pedialyte. You know why? Because she knew that I really was just overreacting, and I was hyperventilating, and I wasn't really as sick as I thought I was. Well, today when we come to the Word of God, I want us to look at a miracle about a young boy who was truly sick and about a father who knew the solution a father who knew where to go and so we're going to start in john chapter 4 verse 46 and the first point i want us to see here because we're going to learn some lessons on faith here is that genuine faith looks to jesus as the answer look in verse 46 it says so he so jesus came again to cana in galilee where he had made the water wine And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, the word official here um, represents like a a government official, a royal official. This is most likely an official in, in King Herod's court. And so this was a man of position. This was a man of authority. This was a man who was likely accustomed to getting his way, a man who had a lot of money, who had a lot of power, who had servants who would do his bidding. But you see, all that money and all that fame and all that power couldn't buy his way out of the pain and out of the trouble that he was experiencing. And instead, here in this moment, we find a dad who is heartbroken because his son is near death. You know, the truth is is that wealth and power and authority 
can bring comfort, can bring feelings of accomplishment, but it also can be dangerous. You know, Jesus had this to say in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why is it so difficult for a rich person to enter God's kingdom? I think partially because with all that wealth comes feelings of self-sufficiency. This is what my study Bible had to say about that verse. It said, wealth is both deceptive and intoxicating. It fools a person into thinking that he or she is self-sufficient apart from God. And the rich person wants desperately to hold on to that supposed self-sufficiency. We know the truth is, is if we were to compare our lives to the lives of the people who lived in Jesus' day, you know what we'd likely discover? We're all wealthy. If we were to compare ourselves to what people had during Christ's day, we would find we were very wealthy. And you know, it, it's, we live in a land of privilege, we live in a land of comfort, but with that can come the temptation to worship our comfort rather than the God who blessed us with that comfort. But here we find a man who, though he lived in a, position, in a place of, of comfort, had hit rock bottom, but he knew where to go. You know, Jesus was early in his ministry here, but I'm, I'm imagining that this man had probably started to hear these stories about Jesus come in. He had heard about the miracles. He had heard about the healings. He had heard about his saving power. And, and so this man came to Jesus because he had a need, and he believed Jesus was the only solution. He believed Jesus was the only answer. You see, genuine faith is, is focused on Jesus because the one who has genuine faith knows that Jesus is the only way. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Now, did this man fully understand who Jesus was? Did he have everything in his grasp as far as who Jesus was? Probably not. We see it a little bit in this story. Um, he, he didn't really understand exactly all that Jesus could do. You see, he believed that Jesus, we're going to find out, Jesus, he thought that Jesus would have to come all the way to his son to heal him. He also believed that Jesus wasn't going to be able to do anything for his son if his son died first. But we know differently because we know of the story of Lazarus. But despite that imperfect knowledge, he still was looking to the right source. Now, when we declare that truth that Jesus is the only way, you know, sometimes people will respond to us by saying, well, that's just what you believe. But I believe something different. You ever heard that before? I was talking with a guy when we were on a mission trip just recently. We went to visit a nursing home, and I was talking with this man at the nursing home um, who was a Muslim, and, uh, and I was explaining my beliefs to him, and, and he told me that he had grown up in a Baptist church and then had converted to Islam um, back in, I think, I think he said, like in the 60s. Um, and, and every time I would try to explain to him 
anything from Scripture, his response was always the same. Well, that's what you believe, and that's okay, but I believe this. And I would say, well, no, sir, both things can't be true. This is, what, this is what the Bible teaches. Well, that's just what you believe. And that's all he could repeat. And so in an essence, he was telling me all roads lead to God. That's what he was trying to say. He was saying, it's okay for you to believe that because that's going to lead you to God, but I'm going to believe this over here because this is going to lead me to God. But can that be true? Can all roads really lead to God? I mean, would we accept that logic in any other part of our life that, that multiple things could be true and work out the same? No. Like, for instance, I was reading something from Max Lucchetto one time, and, and he gave this illustration uh, about going on a trip. And, and he, said, he said, imagine if you went to your travel agent um, and you told that travel agent that you needed to, to get on a flight to Rome, Italy. And so he looks at his screen and he, and he says, well, there's a flight to Sydney, Australia that, that leaves at 6 a.m., you might respond to him and say, well, does it go to Rome? And he would say, no, but it's got good food and movies. But you would look at him and say, but I need to go to Rome. And then what if he replied to you, well, let me suggest to you Southwest Airlines. You might say, well, does it go to Rome? And he would say, well, no, but it wins awards all the time. Now, at that point, you probably would get frustrated with him and, and say, well, look, I need to get on one plane to take me to one place to Rome. Can you tell me where I need to go? But what if he looked at you and said, well, sir, all flights go to Rome. You would look back at him and say, that's ridiculous. That's not true. That, that's not possible. Different flights have different destinations. And just as that is true, not all paths lead to God. One path does. And his name is Jesus. And so our faith must be in Jesus. Now, why can't people see that? Why can't people grasp that Jesus is the only way? I think it's kind of somewhat like this. Um, Jesus, in a way, is kind of like a magnet. And there are those who he draws to himself, and there are those that seem to be repelled by him. You know what I'm saying? Remember playing with magnets as a kid? You know, and if you faced them in, 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 the, in one particular way, they would come together, but if you turned one around the, the wrong way, what would happen? They would push against themselves, right? You know, and there are those who, who seem to, you know, God is blessed by, by helping them to see that they have a need for Jesus, and they, they come to Jesus. And there are some who, who seem to be repelled by Jesus that come to realize that, and they turn their life and, and, and come toward Him. But then there are others um, there are others who never seem to get it, and, and there are some that it seems to take tragedy to flip their perspective, to make them come to Christ. And that seems to be what happens in this man's life, is that his life hits tragedy, and suddenly it flips his perspective, and he begins to pursue Jesus. And I pray that it doesn't take tragedy for any of us here today to turn our eyes to Jesus, but instead that we would simply see our need for him and would realize that genuine faith is always directed at Jesus. Second thing we can see here is that genuine faith believes even what can't be seen. Look in verse 48. It said, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's begging here. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. 
And so Jesus rebukes this man before he does the miracle, before he even promises the miracle, miracle, he rebukes him. He says, unless you see miracles, you won't believe. Now, the you there is plural, so he's not just referring to this man. He's actually referring to the Galilean people as a whole. Jesus had begun to realize that there were those who were following him because they wanted to see the show. They saw the miracles, and they believed in the miracles, and they were attaching themselves to him so long as there were miracles. But if the miracles dried up, Jesus knew that they would fall away, and they wouldn't want anything to do with him. And so Jesus is reprimanding these people, but he is reprimanding this dad. And he's also reprimanding any today who would only believe in Jesus as long as God does what they, what they want him to do. You ever heard that saying, seeing is believing? We know the truth is that some have a faith that's summed up that way. Seeing is believing. And this is what I mean. Some, some carry this kind of attitude. Well, if, if God will answer this prayer for me, then I will believe in him. If God will do this, then he must really be a God of love, and then I will, I will believe in him. Or maybe it sounds something like this. How could a God who loves me allow blank to happen? Allow this person to die. Allow my dad to lose his job. Allow that divorce to happen. Allow whatever it is. Now, now what's the problem with all that? I'll tell you what the problem is. It puts us in the driver's seat. It puts us in the position of trying to dictate terms to God instead of us serving God. It's a faith that says God is going to serve me or else I will not believe in him instead of I will believe in him and I will serve him. And that's not faith. True faith believes even when we can't see the results. I believe true genuine faith is reflected in obeying Christ's commands and trusting in his promises, not in waiting to get the results that we want and turning away if we don't. That's not faith. I mean, remember what Jesus said to Thomas after the resurrection. He said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Or consider Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Where the writer says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Kent Hughes, who is a pastor, says it like this, Faith sees the unseen. And so, yes, Christ's response to this dad seems harsh. I mean, it seems harsh to you, doesn't it? That this dad would come and ask Jesus to heal his son, and Jesus would in turn respond and say, Unless you see signs, you're not going to believe. That seems kind of harsh, right? Seems kind of... Just, just kind of mean. But you know what? Jesus wasn't really being harsh at all. Instead, I believe he was being gracious because he was pushing this man to have true, genuine faith. This man wanted to see the results, but, but, this, but Jesus was saying to him, look, you just got to believe. You just got to trust. C.S. Lewis said it like this, the hardness of God is kinder than the softest of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. And so Jesus, in his harshness, pushed this man to have true faith, to have genuine faith. And how do we see that? You know, Christ granted this miracle, but he refused to go with the man. He didn't make the trip back to the man's home. Instead, he simply gave the man the word, your son will be healed. And he forced him to trust in faith that it would happen. And did the man believe? Yes. How do we know he believed? 
Because it says there in the scripture that he heard Jesus' words and he went his way. He went his way. Look at verse 51. I think this is where we really see faith in action. It says, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So the, the miracle's taking place now. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so the man returned home, returns home the next day, and as he's on the road to home, his servants meet him on that road, and they tell him that his son had become better right at that same moment that he had been talking to Jesus. It says here the seventh hour. That's a, that's a Jewish way of referring to 1 p.m., the seventh hour after sunrise, 1 p.m. And, and so he knew that was the moment where he had been talking to Jesus. So let's think about this. He, had, he was talking to Jesus at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, from, from Cana to Capernaum was about a 16-mile walk. And so for a, a healthy dad like this, that probably would have been about a four- to five-hour walk, Okay. And so let's do some math here, because I want you to see that this man is really demonstrating some faith. Um, at 1 p.m., Jesus tells this dad, your son will live. Now, if you were in that situation, if you had gone to Jesus and asked him to heal your son, how quickly would you have made it home? I'd have been running like Forrest Gump. I'd have put on my running shoes, and you would have seen me take off, because I would have wanted to see my healthy son. And so... It, in reality, this man could have made it home by 5 p.m. on the same day. But instead, when does he make it home? The next day. This is what I believe is going on. I believe that this man so trusted the word of Jesus that his anxiety and his worries were totally washed away. And he felt no need to rush home because he knew his son was better. He knew his son was whole. There was no need to run because Jesus had made the promise. You see, this man came in anxiety, but he left in faith. He came with fear, but he left with assurance. So much assurance that there was no more need to worry, no more need to fear, no more need to fret because it was guaranteed his son was going to be better. That's let me ask you this. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you trust Christ's promises that genuinely? That you read the word of God and you say, because God spoke it, it's going to be true. And you can live without anxiety and without worry. Parents, let me ask you this. Do you trust the Lord with your kids that much? I mean, do you realize that Jesus loves your kids more than you love your kids? And when his word promises things, that it's going to be true, that's faith. I mean, for anybody in here, do you trust the Lord with your future? I mean, I'm not talking about planning or preparation. We're commanded to do those things in Scripture, but I'm talking about worry and anxiety. This man came in anxiety, and he left in faith, believing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says it like this. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, in, by, in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you that bold in your prayer life? Do you have that much faith in your prayer life that you turn to the Lord and you trust that what you ask, He is capable of doing? You know, I was making a visit a while back um, at, a, at a hospital with an elderly gentleman, and um, his family was just going through the ringer. I mean, they just were faced with one thing after another, it seemed. And, and um, as I finished up the visit, we prayed together, and, uh, and, and I just felt led in that moment just to pray that God would work miracles just to pray that he would bring about this a healing for him, a healing for his family, um, and just everything that was going on. And, and when I said amen, the guy kind of caught me off guard because he looked at me and he, and he said, you know, you're asking a lot there. And I, and it, like I said, I was kind of caught off guard. I really didn't know what to say right away, but I looked at him and, and I just explained to him, you know, we have a Lord that's more than capable to answer every single prayer that I offer. And that we must have faith to believe that he can. That's what it talks about in James. In James, he's talking about wisdom. You know, it says, it says pray for wisdom, but you better have faith when you do so. Because if you don't have faith, you're not going to get it. Now, that's not to say that sometimes if things don't work out, it meant you didn't have faith. Because it may be just different what God wanted. But when we do pray, we have to have faith to believe even what we cannot see. And then the last thing I want us to see here is this, is that genuine faith is contagious. Verse 53, the father, knew that, that, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. That's the seventh hour he's talking about there. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, you remember last week we talked about that word sign there, and what is a sign? It is something that points to the destination, right? And so Jesus was doing these signs, and John is writing about them to point us to the Messiah. And so here's the sign here. This man comes home. He finds out that his son had been healed the exact time that Jesus told him it was going to happen. And then, can you imagine that scene? He walks up to find the servants. He sees his son, and they say, hey, he started getting better at 1 o'clock. Can you imagine them trying to pick his jaw up off the floor? As he's like, you will not believe what I'm going to tell you. I met this man named Jesus, and he told me that my son was going to live at 1 o'clock, and you're telling me that he got better at 1 o'clock. That, oh my goodness. And it says that in that moment, he believed, that he trusted, and he came to Jesus in salvation. But what happened next? All his family believed. In other words, his face, faith was contagious. What he had seen Christ do drove him to tell others of what Christ had done. We see the same example in other places in Scripture. If you were to back up to John chapter 4, you can read this later. Jesus has that, con- that conversation with the Samaritan woman, right? And, and he's talking with her, and she, uh, he tells her about her family history, basically. And what does she do? She, she, starts, she thinks that he's the Messiah, and so what she do? She goes and tells others, and she brings them to Jesus. Faith ought to be contagious. If we have seen Jesus do things in our lives, you know what we ought to be doing with it? Telling other people. Not sitting on it. Not just treasuring it in our hearts, but pouring it out so others could absorb the blessing as well. Could see that Jesus is the way. I mean, what if you found the cure for cancer? 
Would you tell somebody about it? Absolutely, right? What if you were going to have a new baby, moms and dads, or a new grandbaby? Would you tell somebody about it? You better believe you would be. What if, uh, what if you got a promotion at work? Would you tell people about it? Absolutely. And so if, if we're so willing to share about those good things that happen in our lives, shouldn't we share about what is even greater news? What Jesus has done in our lives? Genuine faith ought to be contagious. But I want to say this um, as we come to a close. I want us to think real quick about, about something just been on my heart this week, um, especially with all that's gone on. What about when God chooses not to answer the request? What about when God doesn't do the miracle? You know, um, sometimes in a church, things come in waves, you know, and uh, things seem to go smoothly, and then all of a sudden, one bad thing happens, and then another bad thing happens, and another bad thing happens, and, and it just seems to wear you out, and and, and in situations like, for instance, um, with Mike and that, that family, um, or in any family that faces tragedy, sometimes um, I'm afraid that, that people despise the words of Romans 8.28 when God says he works all things together for the good because they just can't see the good. And they don't want to think about how God could turn their sorrow into good because they'd just rather not have the sorrow. You know, and sometimes we simply cannot and we may never really understand why God chooses to answer one prayer but, but doesn't choose to answer another. I mean, why does God allow a faithful husband to die while he's walking down the road? Why does God allow a little baby to be born with spina bifida and then struggle and struggle and struggle? Why does God allow the cancer treatment to work for this person over here, but not for this person over here? You know, we, we pray through those times, and many times we might even cry out to God, God, don't you know it would bring you so much honor if you would just heal this person? It would bring you so much glory if you would just do this, because people would know that it was only by you, but sometimes God just doesn't answer. Or let me correct myself. Sometimes God doesn't answer the way that we hoped he would answer. You know, I think we have to remember that when we can't understand what God is doing, we simply have to trust. We simply have to believe. To hold even more tightly to the promises of the Word of God. And we have to remember that when we're going through those trials, that we're brought even closer to our Lord and Savior. I don't know who told me this, but I remember hearing here recently um, that anything that brings us to our knees is a blessing from God. Because it draws us closer to the Lord. And it reminds us that our Lord is not only the mender of our broken bodies, but He is the mender of our broken hearts. And that He gives us comfort in our time of pain. And He points us to a day when we will not suffer anymore because we're sitting in his presence in heaven. And so sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer today because he has something greater for us in heaven. And we'll sit in heaven one day and we'll see how God did answer. Maybe different from what we wanted, 
but so much greater than we could expect. Let's pray. Father God, we, we trust you. We believe your word. We know that you are the way. As individuals and as a church, we put our faith and our trust in you because you are the only answer. But God, we know that there are times that we walk through life and we just want to see what you're doing. But for whatever reason, you don't let us see. And so God, I pray that if there are those right now who are walking through those valleys, God, I pray for faith. Pray for trust. And Father, for those who have been walking through the valley and they've watched you answer prayers, God, we bless your name and we praise your name. And we lift you high. But even in our dark days, God, we bless your name, we praise your name, and we lift you high. Because we know that on our good days and our bad, you're still there with us. Father, I pray in this time of invitation, if there would be those in this room who have never placed their faith and trust in you, who are lost in their sin, need a Savior. I pray that they would see today that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can, can have eternal life except through Him. And I pray that today they would walk this aisle so they can find out how they can have a relationship with Jesus and the eternal life that He promises. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?